one comes to the Father but through Him. And this is why the gospel is the good news. Death no longer has any power over Jesus. Therefore, it no longer has any power over you. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If you're believing for anything else from God, you're believing for small stuff. Inspiration for today. Today we're continuing um, and we're finishing the series, um, God, why would you do that? And the message today is entitled, The Gospel Message Comes with the Power of God. Now, this is a big, big change that needs to happen in the church. And if it doesn't happen, then we live like the world. And Romans chapter 2, verse 2, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, um, this world follows its own will and completely ignores the will of God. The Bible says that when you no longer conform to the pattern of this world, but every single day you get up in the morning and you're praying and you allow God to renew your mind, then you are able to test and to know what the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God is for your life. Now, the will of God is perfect, which means if you follow the will of God, you are following that which God has for you, which is perfect. You're following that which is pleasing. Let me tell you, if it pleases God, it will please you. If you marry someone and they weren't God's perfect will for your life, it will not be pleasing to you more than it will not be pleasing to God. And with so many other things, I can tell you, the will of God, it will please you even more than it will please God. Because God knows up front that the will that he has for you is for good things. It's a perfect will. It's to bless you and not to mess you. Many times we sit and we think, you know what? If I follow the will of God, it's going to mess me up. No, it will bless you. And many people also believe that if you're a person of faith, that there will be no suffering in your life. And then I want to encourage you to go and listen to what we spoke about last week. Because there are times, and there are Christians in the world even today, where to follow Jesus means they're going to suffer. We spoke about those 50 to 100 Christians that on Pentecost Sunday were shot up and were shot dead because they obeyed what the Bible says when the Bible says do not forsake the gathering of the brethren together. Do you, you do realize eh, that if you don't go to church you're not obeying the word? I can have church just by myself in my garden with my trees. No you can't. Because the word church talks about a gathering of the brethren, a gathering of the saints. It's when we come together that we're the church. You are the church. Wherever you are the church. Now, only if you participate in the gathering. Always test your views against the word. Now, what is faith? What is your view on faith? 
And I want to take you to a piece from Acts chapter 14, verse 1 to 7. And in this story, it's a story because the whole of Acts is a story of what happened in the new church after Jesus ascended to heaven and the Holy Spirit fell. The, 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 the name Acts is short for Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. Not the belief of the apostles. Not the intention of the, the apostles. Not what the apostles were hoping would happen that God would do without them doing anything. Not what God did. I mean, obviously God did a whole lot of stuff. But the whole lot of stuff that God did in the book of Acts was always initiated by the acts of the apostles. They were always doing something. You know, even when you read about Pentecost, they were doing something. They were praying. They were spending time in the presence of the Lord. And the next thing, tongues of fire came from the roof and settled on each one of their heads. And they started praying in tongues. And what praying in tongues meant on that occasion was that they were praying in languages that other people who were in Jerusalem at the time understood that they did not understand. They were already praying. They were there when the power of God fell. You have to do something for the power of God to fall. Now Acts chapter 14 verse 1 says this. Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to a synagogue of the Jews and so spoke, and so spoke that a great multitude of both Jews and of, Greek, of the Greeks believed. So they spoke, and they spoke in such a way that a whole lot of people, both Jews and non-Jews being the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their mind against the brethren. Therefore, now their mind's been poisoned, right? Many of the people's minds been poisoned, and it says, therefore they stayed there for a long time. So because there was opposition, they stayed there for a long time. And then it says this, Therefore they stayed there for a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided. Say divided. But the multitude of the city was divided. Part cited with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to abuse and to stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, the cities in Lyconia and the surrounding region, and there they were preaching the gospel there. Now I want you to listen to me very carefully. This passage is a story of faith. And the Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so the question I want to ask today is, what does it mean to have faith? To have faith means we believe God, even if people want to stone us for speaking the truth about the gospel, about the fact that Jesus died for their sins. To have faith means I trust God to provide for me when I'm going to step out for him, I trust God that if I'm going to step out for him, someone's not going to chop my head off. But if they do, it means it's time for me to get a promotion. So what does it mean to have faith? For starters, it affects how we act. When we have faith, what we do changes. 
You're going to have a problem with quite a few passages in the New Testament if you don't believe that. Faith affects what we do. The apostles had faith, and so in the book of Acts we read of the acts of the apostles, and they were acts that they did because they had faith. When we have faith, we preach the gospel. When we preach, then people in the world around us respond to the word of God. And we see that when these apostles were preaching in Acts chapter 14, that many people believed. It wasn't just a few. Many people believed. But I want you to think about something. If you go out and you preach the gospel, if you go out and you tell people about what the Bible says, if all you've got is what you're saying, then what you're saying just becomes an opinion and it becomes an opinion among many other opinions. You see, when, when you speak about what the Bible says, understand in the modern world that's just an opinion. Some of you are sitting here and when you listen to the sermons on a Sunday, maybe some of you even go to cell and you're listening to what's being taught to you in the cell, then at the end of the day, to you that's just an opinion. I know you're in church, but in actual fact, you don't believe this is the Word of God, it's just an opinion. And so there were people who believed this was just an opinion, and the Bible talks about them as being unbelieving Jews, and it says, so the unbelieving Jews stirred up trouble for the apostles. They poisoned the minds of the people against the church. It sounds like what many people are doing in South Africa today. And the unbelieving South Africans, they stirred up trouble against the pastors. They stirred up trouble against the bishops and the apostles and whatever the oaks call themselves. And they poisoned the minds of many by saying, you know what, you and the orangutan are cousins. You and the chimpanzee. Man, you're 96 or 97% the same. And they say all sorts of things like this. And don't speak about your religious stuff because it's your opinion. Many believers today retreat. But the believers here in Acts chapter 14 did not retreat. They continued to preach. And we see that when they preached, God showed up. In Acts chapter 14 verse 3, Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of His grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. By whose hands were the signs and wonders done? By their hands. Who was doing it? God was doing it. How was He doing it? By their hands. I want you to look at your hands. What miracles are happening because of your hands? I know, but that is so... That is, that, you know, that is so arrogant. No, 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 it's what happened in the Bible. Where are people seeing the power of God work through your hands? I want to tell you that when it talks about the renewing of your mind, your mind has to change. Believing that when you preach the gospel, when you have faith, when you trust God, that He's going to move powerfully through your hands and that people are going to be touched in every area of their lives. I want you to listen to what it says there. It says that the apostles and the believers stood firm for a long time. 
There were people coming against him for a long time. There were issues that they were facing for a long time. But it didn't matter. They spoke the word of God boldly. The people came against him. They spoke the word of God boldly. The people came against him. They spoke the word of God boldly. They were bold. And they boldly declared about what God could do. And they spoke in the power of God. They spoke filled with the Holy Spirit. And they stepped out in faith. And when they stepped out in faith, God responded. Boom, there was a stage. God himself responded. The Bible says that he himself bore witness to the message of grace they were giving by granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. If you're a cell leader here today, I want to tell you that you need to pray for the people to be healed in your cell. You need to believe that some people are going to be healed in your cell. You need to start praying for the people in terms of their financial positions in your cell. You need to start believing that God is going to supernaturally deliver some people in your cell. You need to start praying for companies. You need to start praying for all sorts of people in your cell. Start believing that God is going to start doing certain things in your community through your cell. Start believing that if the community that you're living in is overrun by gangsters and all sorts of people, that through God ministering in your cell that some of those guys are going to come to Jesus and all of a sudden there's going to be less hijackings, there's going to be less housebreakings, there's going to be less people that are going to be robbed of their cell phones while they're walking home from work or church or wherever. You need to start believing that God is going to move so mightily through your cell that parents are no longer going to be afraid for their children to go out after dark because they're scared that their kids are going to be attacked. That the power of God is going to move in your community to such an extent that people are going to be safe when they're walking around. Why do you need to do this? Why do you need to see this if you're a cell leader and you're preaching in a cell group? Because without the work of God, your preaching is just another opinion. When you're preaching the word of God and God moves in the cell and people know that God has moved in the cell, then that's no longer the case. Because now God himself has backed up what you were preaching about. You told them this is what God says. This is what God will do and God will save you. And now God backed it up to say, yes, he is actually speaking on behalf of me. Or she is actually speaking on behalf of me. When, when God moves, then you and the message you preach stand out from the crowd. And I want to, every Christian to realize that God wants the message that you preach to stand out from the crowd. He doesn't just want you to be another one of the voices in the crowd. And this is why you need to be close to God. Because at the end of the day, it's only when God moves that people really know this is God. But now he has another problem. I used to think that if people can just see God moving supernaturally, if people can just see the power of God, that they will automatically believe, that they will automatically accept Jesus. I used to believe that. The truth is I no longer do. And why don't I? Because... I learned this lesson from stories like this in Iconium. And, and the, 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 the lesson from Iconium is that when God showed his power, the resistance against the church increased greatly. Just look at verse 4 to 6 of Acts 14. But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. 
And when a violent attempt was made by both Gentiles and the Jew with their rulers to abuse and stow them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derby, cities in Lyconia and the surrounding region. The spirit of the world does not mind a powerless church. Guys, I want you to listen to what I'm telling you. The spirit of the world does not mind a powerless church. The enemy does not mind a church that is irrelevant. The prince of darkness does not mind a church that only operates on the intellectual. The world does not mind a church that has no influence. If the church has no influence, the world's happy with that church. But when the church becomes powerful in the power of the Holy Spirit, then Satan freaks out. And when Satan freaks out, then those that are in the world freak out because he causes them to freak out. When the church becomes powerful, we learn that the world actually doesn't want to know God. In fact, the more God proves himself, the more they hate the church. And you know, when you look at the founder of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, you can see him as well. He came with all these prophecies and all these things from the Old Testament that said, this is how you will know he's the Messiah. And one of the things he did to prove he was the Messiah, he went to the grave of a man named Lazarus near the city of Jerusalem, near where all the religious leaders were, and he raised Lazarus from the grave. And what happened? When Lazarus was raised from the dead and everyone was talking about the resurrection, direction of Lazarus, the leaders in Jerusalem started making serious plans to kill Jesus. They said, now we've had enough. We can't handle this anymore. This is too much. Now we want to kill him. I want to tell you a little secret. The gospel divides the city when the church is effective. I want to say that to you again. The gospel divides the city when the church is effective. It always has been and it always will be. It will never change until Jesus comes back and if once and for all defeats the devil, there's always going to be that division because the devil's still on the loose. The gospel divides the city when it's effective. And the darkness begins to fight back when it's losing ground. I want you to look at the reaction of the apostles after the signs and wonders. Sorry, the the reaction to the apostles after the signs and wonders. They wanted to stone them. They wanted to beat them. They wanted to kill them. They wanted to destroy them. They wanted them to stop. They became violent. But at the same time as this was happening, many people got saved. And so the apostles did what apostles do. When they learned of their plot, they fled to the surrounding villages, Lystra and Derby. And then this happened. Wherever they went, they preached the gospel. Everywhere they went, they preached the gospel. They didn't just run and emigrate from that place and just try and be safe. They went to that 
place, they preached the gospel. And what was the lesson they'd learned from the previous place? Wherever you go and preach the gospel, people get freaked out. But they preached it anyway. And it says in verse 7 at the end, and they were preaching the gospel there. So you run away from this place, right? Now you're in this place. What do you do in this place? The same place as in that place. You preach the gospel here. I want you to think about that for a second. How do we normally respond as people when we escape with our lives? Normally we sit silently. We lick our wounds and we stop preaching. We might get fired. We might get arrested. We might get whatever. So we stop preaching. The Bible says when they went to another place, they didn't stop preaching. They preached boldly. And they were bold. And what made them bold was the fact that people wanted to kill them. Many Christians in South Africa, I hear them talking about, they, they, they speak of themselves, I preach the word boldly. And I'm thinking, who's trying to kill you? I can come here, Nick, I can say, Nick, I'm preaching boldly here today. I'm boldly declaring the word of God. We're praised here. Now I look bold, eh? But you're not, uh, uh, you don't have a gun, eh? Knife. You're not out to kill me. What's bold? It's easy to sound bold. You're preaching boldly when people are threatening to fire you. Or they're threatening to take something from you. And so they preached anyway. And the more the enemy tried to stamp out the gospel, the more the believers would flee, causing them to preach the gospel in new places. And so the acceleration of the persecution resulted in the acceleration of the spread of the preaching of the gospel. And as they persecuted more and more, and as the believers would flee, the gospel would go further and further. It was like COVID-19. The more you try to lock it down, the more it spread. And now we should have gospel 22 to replace COVID-19. Amen. And yeah, now the gospel is not only being preached in Iconium, but in Lystra and Derby as well. You know, we try to kill these troublemakers and now they just spread. And now we've got a problem in three places and not just one. That's the gospel. Because what did Jesus say? Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to say that again. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to tell you is that if you want people to see the Lord working through you, maybe some people are sitting thinking, oh my word, I can't do that. I feel so insignificant. Oh no, I feel condemned. I can never do it. You can't do it. You have to tap into what Jesus did. And we always teach about the blood of Jesus. And I want to tell you briefly today that for the work of the Lord to be shown through us, we've got to apply the blood of identity. I want you really to think about where we sit with the Lord Jesus, what the Bible says about where we sit without Him. 
where we sit is in a dead place because we are descended from Adam. And the Bible says that, that, that from Adam we inherited sin. And because of the sin that we inherited, our DNA has been messed up. When God created Adam, he gave him pure DNA. There was nothing wrong with him. It was without contamination. And God placed him in a lineage that was superior to any other creature in the universe. That even includes the angels. Adam was superior to every other living being in all of the universe. But when he ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, sin contaminated his blood and that altered his genetic code. And that's why even if for someone who wants to preach us without the power of God and without the impact of the blood of Jesus, their words have no impact. Because our genetic code was altered at Adam. Before the contamination, Adam was an authority. After the contamination, Adam became a slave. Without the blood of Jesus, you're a slave. You could be a slave to drugs. You could be a slave to power. You could be a slave to money. You could be a slave to your circumstances. You could be a slave to sex. You could be a slave to pornography. You could be a slave to gaming. Listen, you could be a slave to politics. You could be a slave to your own opinion. But you're a slave. Because it's in your DNA. I want you to listen very carefully to me today. What this means is that because of sin, we all have a wrong image of ourselves. When we talk about the renewing of the mind in Romans chapter 12 verse 2, it's a renewing of the image, the one that God wanted us to be, the one that God created us to be. And the image that we have is one that comes from sin rather than one that comes from God. The wrong image has extended throughout all of Adam's lineage and it extended until Jesus came. And the Bible talks in the book of Corinthians about Jesus coming. He was the second Adam. The second Adam came to fix up what the first Adam had messed up. And the second coming of the man was the only means possible to redeem the entire human race from the contamination of sin. There's no other way. And so it was important that he did not come from the same genealogical line as the first man who carried the wrong image. The second Adam, which is Jesus, came from the Holy Spirit. He never had a human father. And Isaiah 52 verse 14 says, But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one could scarcely know that he was a man. You see, in the process of Jesus being crucified, he shed his blood in seven places. And the second place he shed his blood was when they beat him up to a pulp. And what Isaiah 52 verse 14 is saying they beat him up so badly and they ripped the beard off of his face so badly that the blood began to flow from his face and he got beaten up to a point where the Bible says you could hardly even recognize him as a human being. Jesus lost his identity 
And when the blood poured out of his face as he lost his identity, he lost his identity so an exchange could take place. So that our wrong identity could be placed on him, could be placed on that blood, which was a punishment that was put on him. And then he could give us the right identity. The identity that we were originally meant to have. It's an exchange. We know it in the church as the great exchange. The great exchange by the blood of Jesus at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ where all the wrongness of who we are is exchanged for all the perfection of who, of who Jesus is. goes on in verse 15 of Isaiah 52. And he will startle many nations. Kings will stand uh, speechless in his presence for they will see what they had not been told. They will understand what they had not heard about. And so Jesus, he suffered this. And he bled from his face to restore the image of God in our lives. Why? So that we can impact many with the gospel. You cannot impact anyone with the gospel unless the image of God has been restored inside of you. And today I want to say to you that God wants to restore His image inside of you. And I want to also say this to you, and I want you to listen to me very carefully today. Through the death and the resurrection, Jesus became the second man. And He became the second man with a new and a faultless genetic code. And He offers it to us. He offers it to us. He opened up a new way for all of us along with a new lineage, a bloodline without contamination, and the opportunity to recover the image that God has for us. The enemy thought that he was destroying the image of God when he beat Jesus to a pulp through those people. But he didn't realize that the same with all the seven places where Jesus shed his blood. Just one drop of the blood that was shed from the face of Jesus is all the power that is necessary to astonish the world. And this is what I want you to realize. So it says there that you couldn't recognize Jesus and this is our belief for every single one of you what the Lord wants to do with you through faith. And he will startle many nations. I will say for the ladies, and she will startle many nations. And it goes on. Kings will stand stand speechless in his presence. For the ladies, kings or queens will stand speechless in her presence. For they will see what they had not been told. So you will preach a gospel. Not only will they hear it, they will see it. God will give them a revelation. A divine, a supernatural revelation of the gospel. They will see it through you. And they will understand what they had not heard about. And you will speak it and the spirit inside of them will be speaking to them as you speak to them. And all of a sudden they will understand what they had not heard about. Things that they never understood before. Things they were never able to hear before. The Holy Spirit, through the words that you are speaking and through the image that Jesus has given you, will touch him and they will get it. They will get it through you. I 
want to tell you that just one drop of the blood that was shed from Jesus' face when they pulled his beard out has the power to destroy the veil that the enemy has over people's minds so that they can be astonished by the gospel. Just one drop. It is so powerful. And also the verse speaks about the nations and the kings that I've spoken about. And it, what, it, what it reveals is the true nature and the true scope of the outpouring. The kings refers to people of great influence. That you will be able to influence people of great influence who themselves will influence many. And it will open many doors of blessing for the church. I personally believe that we are living in a time of grace. Where we will be able to impact many with our preaching. Oh